Hello and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to review their aging action heroes so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined once again by Mark. Oh hi Mark. Good evening. Uh, in case you missed the last episode, uh, it was a very special episode, the first time we'd ever had guests in the studio. Uh, we were joined by the band Destroy the Beast, Find the Baby and uh, fellow movie uh, reviewer What a Ranker. So uh, we reviewed Willow and Waterworld. Strange combination there, but uh, go back and listen to the show. You'll find out why we paired those two films together. Today we are back to business as usual here with me and Mark, and we are reviewing two films which pit uh, two of the biggest action heroes of all time head-to-head -head in 1993, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. Now, the timing of this obviously coincides with uh, this year, in which we've seen brand-new Terminator film and a brand-new... Rambo film as well, so they're still at it in 2019, mm -hmm. they were at it in 1993, the, the two uh, juggernauts of action movies, with Last Action Hero from 93 and Demolition Man from 93. First of these two is, is Last Action Hero, very ahead of its time, it's actually a cult film now, even though it was considered a bit of a flop at the time, one of, one of my favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger films for sure. Uh, but both of these movies were in, the, were in the old VHS collection that we talk about every week. I probably, even though I wouldn't have understood a good 60% of the gags uh, <laughs> as an eight-year-old, eight um, it was still uh, one of my favourite Arnie films. So The idea of Last Action Hero is very ambitious. It, it is that Arnold Schwarzenegger plays an action movie hero character that exists in an action movie world, <laughs> whilst we... Uh, is sort of in the shoes of a, a character called Danny, who is a little boy who exists in our world. So through Danny, we are able to go into this fictional action movie world where everything must follow the rules of action movies and must be contained within that. And all sorts of um, stereotypes and cliches are sort of sent up. So it's quite complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Very complicated, probably for 80% of the audience that saw this were like, what the fuck is going on? Schwarzenegger <laughs> um, goes Inception. <laughs> goes, yeah, postmodern, goes meta, a good few years before Scream made that sort of a thing. It is two hours and ten minutes long, so uh, it is also on Netflix as well. So if you've got two hours and ten minutes uh, to sort of scratch your head, then, then go check it out. <laughs> directed by John McTiernan, famously uh, directed Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and also Die Hard. So he's a guy that knows his action movie onions, a good guy to go to. And the script had a couple of writers and a couple of people who have story credits, so it's one of those kind of worked over script but um, the guy that did the rewrite was Shane Black wrote the Lethal Weapon film so he also knows sort of action movie tropes and how to sort of send them up and, and sort of manipulate them so good uh, good personnel here and obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger had been uh, the biggest action movie hero for the last 10 years prior to this so yeah. all, the, all the pieces are in place here so the film uh, opens up with a hostage situation uh, a little boy being held hostage on the roof by um, this character called the Ripper. You get this stereotypical angry police chief, uh, this this black guy who I'm sure I've seen in in other films doing <laughs> yeah. this exact same character. It's very good. And then enter Jack Slater, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in this film, stepping uh, sort of across many taxis. You see his snakeskin boots first, then his blue jeans, 
his massive belt buckle, his tan leather jacket. It's it's an iconic um, look. I had the action figure, uh, the Jack Slater action figure when I was a kid. And he's going to march in there and sort it all out. But he's intercepted on the way by Tina Turner. <laughs> there you go. We don't know why. Is that her? Yeah. I didn't even T- know Tina, Tina Turner, not as herself, as most people are in these films. Yeah. But uh, merely playing, I think, the mayor or the chief of police or something mm. like that. She tries to stop him, but he says, Tina Turner, what the fuck are you doing in this film? Get out of my way. Um, in the first 20 seconds as well. <laughs> so, like we say, Jack Slater is an action hero uh, pastiche. He's just sending up everything that Arnold Schwarzenegger previously portrayed. He doesn't play by anyone's rules. He's out of control. He's got one-liners, bad puns. Mm. He's excessively violent, obviously. Uh, we get a Great Arnie pun in the first sort of two minutes. <laughs> hey, do you want to be a farmer? Kicks him in the balls. There's a couple of acres. <laughs> Which took me years to understand. <laughs> we go up to the roof and there is the Ripper who is this quite scary sort of character, sort of deformed. He's got like a raincoat on and a really like scary looking axe. Portrayed by brilliant character actor Tom Noonan. He's, uh, he's Jack Slater's sort of arch nemesis in the fictional Jack Slater films. Tells Jack Slater to give over all of his guns, so he just empties like about 15 or 20 <laughs> yeah. guns out of his jacket, his jeans. He gives away, he gives over like one gun at first, and yeah. he's like, well, that's not the only one, is it? And he just gets rid of so many more. Sets the tone really nicely. And then as, as the Ripper throws his axe towards the screen, we sort of, it all goes a bit fuzzy and sort of uh, washed out. And you, it feels like you're watching a, a, a pirated cam film. <laughs> um, but then it pulls back and it reveals that this is just a film. Yeah. And it's being watched by Danny, our character here. We have a few returners in this episode. This is our first returner, the Danny character, uh, played by a kid called Austin. He did actually briefly pop up in The Lawnmower Man. Wow, I don't remember yeah. that. No, <laughs> that I... was probably over a year ago. But... <laughs> Uh, that was our virtual reality nightmare episode. You can check it out in the archives. Danny Madigan, just an ordinary New York kid who loves action movies. He was he was all of us in '93. Yeah. Mm. The guy that runs the cinema is called Nick. Uh, people may also recognise this actor. He played Dracula, sort of character in Gremlins Two. People have studied that film as much as I have. And he was also in uh, John Carpenter's Christine, which I watched recently, so I recognised him as well. He's a bit of a veteran. He's, he's the lovable sort of cinema um, owner who lets Danny come and uh, watch films when actually he should be in school. And he says, well, if you come at midnight tonight, I've got the exclusive Jack Slater 4 reel. No one's even seen it yet. It's the brand new Jack Slater film. Come and watch it mm. before anyone else. So the whole day in school, uh, um, Danny's imagination is running wild. So <laughs> we get this great scene where he's meant to be um, studying Shakespeare in, in class and the teacher's talking about Hamlet. Um, and we briefly see Laurence Olivier playing Hamlet, but then, because this is Danny's imagination, he reimagines it as uh, as Jack Slater or Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Hamlet. And it's just great little, like, two, maybe two minutes, but it's all gold. It's like him throwing skulls at enemies to be or not to be, and then an explosion. Not to be. Not, not to be. <laughs> Loads of, like, Shakespearean quotes Arnified, which mm. are great. Walking through this castle and getting his Uzi out and <laughs> <laughs> dispatching all of these, all of these like Danish soldiers is fantastic. 
Just what? Just look that bit up on YouTube <laughs> if you can't be asked for the two hours ten minutes. That's really good, <laughs> and you get it really early on. Uh, we get like some quick backstory about Danny's mum's single parent, widowed. They're living in a crappy apartment in New York. They actually end up getting robbed while his mum's at work. Um, so he's got a bit of a shit life. So that's why he escapes to the cinema, escape from reality, that sort of thing. He gets handcuffed by some violent robber. Yeah, someone comes in. <laughs> someone comes in to rob him while his mum's out, and then the burglar is annoyed. But he hasn't got anything of value in his house. <laughs> what the? What's up with this crappy TV? Huh? This crappy VHS? Why you got no good stuff? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why don't you fucking go somewhere else then? I'm a kid. Yeah, alone. I'm a really poor kid with a single parent. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. It just just shows you how he's got a shit life and he wants to escape to the movies slash into the movies. So he does go to the midnight screening here and it gives him this magic ticket that was something to do with Harry Houdini, something like that. And he starts watching Jack Slater 4 opens up and we get the Megadeth playing the intro yeah. music here. It's pretty um, cheesy uh, action movie sort of open. Angry again, if you want to check out what song it is. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. It's not on any of their albums. Really? It's Just, for this soundtrack? Yeah. As is the ACDC song... Big Gun, which oh. was written specifically for this film as well. Which you can blatantly tell is ACDC because <laughs> well, it couldn't could, be anyone else. Yeah, couldn't be, no. <laughs> reliable. They're very reliable. Yeah. yeah. That sort of stuff. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger probably likes this sort of music. Mm. Um, it's quite American. Yeah. Testosterone American. US yeah. flag. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we're plunged into Jack's later four. You get this um, mob boss called uh, Vivaldi who's sort of torturing someone on his mansion uh, balcony. And then you're introduced to the, the villain, uh, the great villain of the film, Benedict, played by the great Charles Dance, mm. who I don't think has been on the show before. I'm a little bit surprised because <laughs> um, he's done some, some shit. But um, Charles Dance, you know, legendary sort of English actor here playing this Benedict character. And this is... I also had the action figure of this character as well. So I had the Jack Slater action figure and I had the Benedict action figure. And I think they're quite unique looking, both of them. Mm. The, the Benedict character has this white linen suit that he wears, um, has these awful painted on like tribal tattoos coming up of, out of his collar. Yeah. And of course the glass eye, which mm. is his, his trademark here. I want to say that the action figure, you could change the eye, but that doesn't sound right for a kid's toy, so probably yeah. you couldn't. But it would have been good if you could. Uh, he changes his glass eye throughout the film. So this is, I, I think it's a great character, well thought out visually. We cut to Jack Slater uh, crashing uh, a drug bust at his favourite second cousin's house. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a great bit where he finds his cousin tied up and finds like some playing cards inside like the ropes and the, the the one on the top says five and then he looks at the next one and it says four and the next one says three it's a bomb and he gets to like two and he goes it's a bomb it's a bomb <laughs> so now another great like send up of action movie stuff and the house explodes massively it blows this this old, this old black policeman into the tree. <laughs> He's just got time to say, two days to retirement. Uh, it's uh, so thick, thick and fast. You've got to pay attention to these guys. It's like airplane. It's like a gag every three seconds, yeah. maybe. It's great. 
This leads to a car chase, Arnie getting chased in a convertible by um, some some goons. And it's at this point that he throws um, sort of a stack of dynamite towards the screen and it comes right out of the screen and into the cinema where Danny is sitting. So it's like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And this blows up and ends up blowing Danny into the film. So he ends up in the backseat of the convertible. And he's obviously a bit confused because Jack Slater, a fictional character, is 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 driving him. <laughs> there is an appearance here from legendary henchman Al Long. Henchman in lots of bad films. I think he's popped up. He's definitely popped up in a film we've done before. I can't remember which one. <laughs> Probably Johnny Mnemonic, maybe. <laughs> he I must have covered yeah, him by he, now. He has. I know he has popped up. Um, but he gets a great little segment here where he's chasing him. And Arnie blows up uh, an ice cream truck. Which he just he just points a gun at it and and, and shoots it and it explodes massively like <laughs> like it's full of dynamite and it um, shoots an ice cream cone into the back of his head, immediately killing him. And Arnie's just got time to say, "Ice that guy." <laughs> um, thick and fast, yeah. Jack is telling Danny that you know, don't worry, you're still alive. You'll grow up to discover all things like shaving. Divorce and premature ejaculation. <laughs> yeah, acne shaving, premature ejaculation in your first divorce. <laughs> <laughs> it's a divorce. Somewhere around here is when you very briefly see the Terminator slash policeman from Terminator 2. Uh, Robert Patrick, yes. uh, T-1000, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just as you're coming into the police station here, um, this is where most of the cameos in this film are. Yeah. He walks past the T-1000 and Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct. You get Cartoon Cat that's voiced by Danny DeVito, which again <laughs> oh, tell, yeah. tells you that you're in a movie. Perhaps a Roger Rabbit reference, I would say. There's this great gag where um, your ex-wife is on line one and he just puts a dictaphone down next to the receiver with her going... And his dictaphone going, yeah, uh-huh, sure, I know, sure. Get the angry police chief again, um, just screaming. Um, <laughs> just, just random stuff. And he says that um, Danny and Jack are now going to be partners. Uh, what One of the top, top gags in this film, and I put the picture out on, uh, on our social media uh, yesterday, the, um, Danny wants to prove... That this is a movie, so he takes Jack Slater into the blockbuster video store, and he's expecting to find some uh, some other Schwarzenegger films, mm -hmm. uh, but he finds a, a a cutout of Terminator Two, and it's Sylvester Stallone oh, yeah. as uh, the Terminator. Like, that was you, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> but no, that wait, this can't be right. And Arnie's like, "What are you talking about? He's great in that film." <laughs> yeah. Sort of uh, playing on this uh, this rivalry that they did have, obviously around that time. But yeah, so it's around this time that Danny's trying to explain that you, no, you're not Jack Slater, you're an actor called Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and he gets it wrong when he repeats it and says Arnold Braunschweiger, <laughs> um, which apparently is a type of sausage in Austria. Right, I read. Yeah, That's good research. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously Danny has seen the opening scene where his information is re revealed that the Vivaldi mob is not really going to unite with this other mob. It's just a ruse, and Danny is the one that knows this because he has obviously watched it on 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 the screen. So they go to the Vivaldi mansion, and Benedict is there. He's got a different eye. I think he's got a smiley face. Have a nice day, eye. We're then introduced to Jack Slater's uh, young daughter, Whitney, 
And this is another returner, a very quick returner. This is Bridget Wilson Sampras, who portrayed Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat oh. just two episodes ago. Oh, we God, talked about I should it. Have recognized that one. Yeah, she's not in this <laughs> film too much, but she does do some Sonya Blade type kung fu kicking. Yeah, uh, which yeah should have been a giveaway. Well, this came out before Mortal Kombat, so perhaps she impressed uh, impressed here with her moves that uh, that she got picked up for that film. But then uh, Benedict is able to uh, to get to them, and he interrogates Whitney and uh, Danny while Arnie is out doing something. I can't even remember what he's doing. He's gone out for a drive, <laughs> and his daughter and his uh, new partner are being interrogated. There's quite a good gag here where Danny says, "If you touch a hair on her head, oh, yeah." So he's going, "Wait a minute," and then he takes the hair from her head. And breaks it in front of his. It's this very I like this about this film. It's almost like a Family Guy type dynamic where there'll be a a gag and then it will be actually performed. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want it, we're gonna do it. You know, but yeah, there's some Whitney Kung Fu here. Arnie comes crashing through the the glass ceiling. There's quite a lot of making henchmen shoot each other in this bit. So mm. he, he lands uh, in between two henchmen and just grabs both their guns and makes them like shoot each other. And then later on in the scene, he grabs like an exposed bit of wire and makes it touch a henchman sitting in a chair so that his gun goes off and shoots. <laughs> I mean, that's quite labour intensive. <laughs> And depends on quite a few uh, factors. I'm not sure if it's uh, <laughs> scientifically accurate. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really the long way around. But, um, <laughs> this is like what you know, Arnie's eighth or ninth action film. We've got to get creative here. Yeah. And you can't say it's not creative. <laughs> There's uh, sort of some chasing here. Slater chases Benedict. Danny chases Slater. Uh, he's on a bicycle, which of course allows them to do an E.T. gag where he goes flying over the moon but uh, Benedict ends up getting the half of the magic ticket off of Danny which is quite important because mm. he is now able to theoretically able to come to our world but he leaves his eye behind in Whitney's apartment and um, it's one of those exploding glass eyes unfortunately mm. so it uh, it blows the whole uh, oh, one of those damn exploding <laughs> glass eyes <laughs> Blows the whole uh, whole house sky high, and apparently this this shot of this building exploding was not f even from this film. It was from Lethal Weapon. Oh. Um, so Shane uh, Shane Black had just borrowed it um, <laughs> from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Arnie gets fired, of course. Uh, Slater gets fired for being uh, a liability, yeah. uh, a rogue element. You know, I want your badge. You know, yeah. this, this happens in both of these films. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it is a cliche. Uh, at least this film knows it's a cliche. He goes back to his sad, like, bachelor apartment and um, shoots through the walk-in closet before opening the door and revealing, like, a guy in a balaclava. Mm. And Danny says, why is that guy in your wardrobe? He's, he's always in the wardrobe, <laughs> which is good. And it's one of these things where he opens the wardrobe and it's just ten pairs of snakeskin boots, ten pairs of leather jacket, ten of the same gun, you know, that, that, that yeah. great trope as well. It's always funny. Benedict at this point realises that he can actually go to another world, so he doesn't need Vivaldi anymore, so he shoots him. There's a weird little bit where he does a monologue to the camera, which um, is sort of stage acting-esque, yeah. you know. Yeah. He sort of tells us what's going to happen next. He's yeah. like, now I've got the magic ticket, I will be going to uh, to the other world, and mm -hmm. all this... 
if God was a villain, he'd be me or something. So here is a villain now perfectly aware that he is a movie villain or a panto villain. Um, and he has realised that we are watching him in a film. So he is talking to us. So postmodern. Yeah, it's great. He ends up coming into our world, into New York City. Slater and Danny sort of follow him through. It's sort of a bit of a turning point here in the film because the film's already been on for probably about an hour and 40 minutes at this mm. point. You sort of feel like they could have wrapped it up around yeah. here. But they choose not to and they choose to come back into our world. Apparently the original script was all set inside a fictional movie that knew it was a fictional movie and they did not do that. So it's one of the rewriting things and the disagreements that the different writers had they felt that there should be an, a, a part where the characters come into our world and I feel like this is maybe only the only weak point of the film because when it comes into our world it sort of doesn't work quite as well I don't mm. think maybe it's just all the bloody celebrity cameos yeah. one every sort of two minutes <laughs> um, bogging it down a little bit <laughs> it's at this point Slater realises he is fictional because he sees a massive poster that says Arnold Schwarzenegger is Jack Slater it's like <laughs> Arnold Braunschweiger? <laughs> um, and he realises that now he's in the real world, he, he feels pain like a normal person. Um, things don't explode. So there's a bit where he shoots the back of a taxi like three or four times in the, in the, into the, uh, the boot. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> should, should explode, shouldn't it? And it doesn't, you know. Why hasn't it flown into the air yeah, in the fire? Like the ice cream van, <laughs> yeah. But then what I do like is... is Conversely, where Jack Slater realizes he's sort of powerless, Benedict realizes that actually he can now do anything he wants, and there are actually less rules for the villain out of the movie than there were in the movie. Mm -hmm. So he goes and shoots some mechanic, and there are no sirens, and nobody screams, and nobody does anything. So he shouts really loudly, I shot somebody, I did it on purpose. <laughs> I wanted to confess to murder. <laughs> and there's nothing happened. So he's like, right, okay, cool. So it's actually it's sort of a little, a little you know, social commentary on uh, how uh, depraved our world and our civilization is, you know. A supervillain actually can do quite well here, uh -huh. uh, better than he could within the predetermined confines of, a, of an action movie. Yeah. I quite like that, that element. Recruits the Ripper as well, I suppose suppose he had to bring him out of a film as well, since he doesn't exist in our world. He's a fictional character, so he has to bring him out from Jack Slater 3, presumably. Yeah. So now the Ripper is now in our world as well. Here we get one of the most famous quotes of the film, with Arnie coming out with... Arnie comes out with rubber baby buggy bumpers. You didn't know I was going to say that. <laughs> That's his attempt to still disprove that he's a, he's a fictional character. Now this gets really complicated and messy because we're at the premiere of Jack Slater 4 in Our World, which stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Jack Slater. So just as you would expect, the real-life character Arnold Schwarzenegger arrives with his real-life wife and lots of real-life actors surrounding him. James Belushi, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme pops up briefly, Little Richard for some reason, mm. and even Tom Noonan, who plays the Ripper. So we have a world now where the characters and the actors who portray the characters 
exist not just in the same universe but in the same like theater the same yeah. place so it gets really complicated but still really clever i still like it's still ambitious mm. there's like a little gag where his wife says please don't mention the uh, the restaurants don't plug the restaurants which is the planet hollywood restaurants that arnie and sly were both heavily invested in and would not shut up about yeah. uh, in the early 90s along with um Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. So we get the Ripper character arrive at the premiere and the journalists are like, oh, how wonderful. It's the it's the character of the Ripper from Jack Slater 3. Ooh, he's scary. <laughs> and then about two minutes later, the actor Tom Noonan turns up in his tuxedo, not dressed up like his character. And they're like, Oh, how did you how did you get out of costume so quickly? And he's like, What? <laughs> it's get it gets mad in a good way. There's all this sort of the Ripper tries to assassinate. It seems like they're trying to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger rather than Jack Slater at one point. Maybe the theory being that if he doesn't exist, then Jack Slater can't exist. Yeah. They don't really explain it because it's gone so mad. I think I was getting a little bit confused. (laughs) (laughs) Who's who? Who's who? But it it culminates with the Ripper on the roof again, but with Danny this time instead of the the kid from the beginning of the movie, which was Jack Slater's son, uh, being able to electrocute the Ripper in quite a clever way um, again those exposed wires he just dips them in the water and because it's raining it um, electrocutes the ripper but then of course there's still Benedict so Benedict turns up and does does something that he does throughout the film which is always really cool just really slowly extends his arm with a gun at the end so the barrel is like right near the camera yeah. and looks like it's 20 foot long <laughs> but he does it constantly and it's really good he's like a hitman character it's mm. cool and uh, he, he starts to talk about some interesting stuff, such as um, with this ticket, you know, I see I brought the Ripper through from the Jack Slater films, but I could go and get Dracula, King Kong, um, all these <laughs> sorts of characters. I could bring all of these characters out and I, I would love to see the sequel where that happens, you know, <laughs> um, just a mashup. Uh, I suppose that's what Ready Player One was in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this interesting sort of um, villain monologue, which which caps off with the great line, here, the bad guys can win. Mm. A prelude to him shooting Jack in the chest, you know, presumably killing him. And that's, that's a sort of interesting um, concept is that that could not happen in an action movie but it could happen in reality, the reality that we're in. So it's it's all, you know, interesting stuff. But he's able to shoot him in the eye, which explodes because he has the exploding eyes, as we've uh, established. And then <laughs> it goes on for about still about another 10 minutes with this mad subplot where someone's watching The Seventh Seal, the Ingmar Bergman film, and death... The Grim Reaper emerges from that film into our world, played by Ian McKellen, and just starts wandering around New York in a sort of quite a quite a loose end, quite a random thing to introduce yeah. about ten minutes before the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that he's not coming for Jack Slater, so it's fine. Danny's able to use the ticket to return Jack Slater to his rightful universe, and that's it. So two hours. And 10 minutes, 83 kills. Wow. That's Last Action Hero from 1993. What were your overall thoughts of this film? It's a very entertaining film. Like we said, very meta. Mm. Um, it's a bunch of films within a film. It's like a, tons of cliche kind of action tropes used again and again. They stuck a load of good one-liners in. 
they obviously just wanted to get the best of Arnie into like every scene (laughs) how much how much Arnie can you cram into one film really and kind of when you watch the films he did after this it's kind of a bit dull yeah once you've done this you can't really go back again it's like they exhausted him with this film (laughs) it was like the culmination of the previous 10 years it's like where do you really go from here you know yeah yeah, it's, it's really good. It's it's good fun. It's not like it's not really that serious or anything, you know. It's, it's got that kind of appeal to it, like a kid being involved in the action film with yeah. his favorite action star. And yeah. I can imagine if you watch this as a kid, you kind of yeah, you like oh, I wish I was that kid, kind of you know, yeah. you kind of vicariously live that kind of. Because that's the kind it, of the but... kind of subplot with that character, and it's and it is a bit of a cliche, but like. Uh, you know the the kid with the the sort of shitty life will it will escape into movies into video games you yeah. know into books that's kind of what art does isn't it you know it's something you can escape from reality with and yeah. it does it very literally mm. um, which yeah as you say is relatable for any kid but especially like a kid who is obsessed with movies or video games whatever it might be to to go into that world like yeah. how cool would that be this know? escapism becomes yeah. his life and, yeah uh, it's a good idea experience it and it's cool yeah. yeah it's good fun weird that this is considered one of the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger films and and it was obviously a big shock to me when I saw this pre-internet in 93 I you know it was tough before the internet to 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 know that um a film was popular or unpopular you just yeah. made your own mind up and i thought yeah. it was fucking brilliant if anyone at school had seen it you'd yeah it's popular like. yeah <laughs> and, and then i eventually learned that this was considered like not that great and i was like what do you mean like it's, it's so clever so ambitious so mm. ahead of its time and now it is a, a cult film for sure yeah know? uh it's got 36 percent rotten from rotten <laughs> tomatoes which is uh, and what I really resent is that that's the same score that Junior got. Oh dear! And for me, I mean, if you're talking, that's the, a film we'll never do. Nah, when I thought of, of, I mean, obviously, we we have to walk a thin line on this show between films that are the really terrible, but films that also we would enjoy watching, and they'd be bad, you know. If I was going to pick the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger film, I would pick Junior. <laughs> no doubt about it. And maybe Twins, I would put below this Surely as well. One of his more modern films. Um, I guess, but you know, if we go if we're going for that first Arnie run, yeah, it's definitely yeah. Junior. So I can't believe this has got the same score. But yeah, I think this this film is so clever, so ahead of its time. A bit too long, a bit bloated. I, I think at times it really threatens to collapse under its postmodernness. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it gets quite complicated at the end, especially. Like... I kind of uh, sort of not zoned out, but I kind of um, sort of relaxed a bit too much for like... a few minutes, and I was like, "What's going on again?" <laughs> Rarely does this genre become so complex. Like yes, yeah. it's usually you know, Commando, Arnie shoots people for ninety minutes, mm. henchman, henchman, mini boss, henchman, uh, a final boss different guns yeah you know grenades like but obviously he'd done that for 10 years so he found this script really appealing in that it it really satirized and and sent up the sort of tropes that he was probably getting pretty sick of um, by this point so i think it's fantastic i can't believe it's 36 percent rotten (laughs) i can't believe that anyone thinks this is a bad film it's great but I'm glad it is considered so because then we can talk about it so that's last action hero from 1993 and so we continue now to talk about Demolition Man from 1993. So this is Sylvester Stallone's 
big budget action uh, blockbuster of the same year. Came out a little bit later in the year, so uh, Last Action Era had already um, been brutalised at the box office by uh, Jurassic Park, um, which broke every sort of record there was in 93, but still Demolition Man was going to come out in October-ish, I think, here. <laughs> Directed by a guy called Marco Brambia, who I've never heard of, and this is pretty much his only major credit. Obviously, Sylvester Stallone, just the same as Arnold Schwarzenegger, had been a big action star for all of the 80s. Um, the Rocky franchise was starting to go downhill or had gone downhill by this point. They'd done five, hadn't they, which was not great. Yeah, Stallone sort of hit the big time before yeah. Arnie. He was sort of mid-70s. Yeah, Rocky, Rocky 78-79. So yeah, he, um, he, he did make it big first and actually didn't. Rocky's not even an action film, certainly not the first no. one. It's a sport. It's like quite a good film, isn't yeah. it? And, and even the first Rambo was quite a proper film. By 1993, he had completely bled the Rocky franchise dry and the Rambo franchise. Rambo 3 is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I've not seen that one. No, it's, it's, it's bad. Rocky, <laughs> five, Rocky 5, you've, oh, you've yeah. told me, is Rocky not, five not great. Is bad, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's all his franchise. He, he did the terrible uh, arm wrestling film called Over the Top. He did a, a wonderful film called Tango and Cash, which is actually um, also rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. I was angry to find out. Kurt Russell, uh, Sylvester Stallone, silly action movie from the late eighties. Mm-hmm. But here we are in '93. His his uh, his stock is starting to wane. Also, yeah, the film opens actually in Los Angeles, the year 1996. Now, three years ahead. Why bother setting the film three years in the future, or at least the first portion? I don't understand that. Even in 1996, it appears to be a little bit dystopian. So, just three in three years' time, there'll be lots of things on fire and lots of terrorists and criminals. Yeah. There's another hostage situation, very similar, open to Last Action Hero. Simon Phoenix, the master criminal, has hijacked a bus and has got all these people held hostage. Um, so they send in John Spartan, the best damn cop on the force, although he's a bit of a loose cannon. Mm. John Spartan is Sylvester Stallone. Simon Phoenix, played by Wesley Snipes, sort of on the rise here as a bit of an action um, star, a legitimate uh, black belt uh, in judo or karate, maybe. Lots of shooting straight away, which is pretty good. This film actually has 72 kills, 10 less than Last Action Hero. Must have been a bit, bit more dialogue, maybe. I guess Last Action Hero is longer. Since, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, that'll be it. So, yeah, so uh, John Spartan goes wading in here, confronts Simon Phoenix, and he just blows the whole fucking building up. This was a real demolition that was filmed, yeah. some Something in Louisville or Louisiana, maybe. Um, something that need uh, some old um, car factory that needed to be demolished anyway. So they uh, uh, the film studio film it, and they also ran a competition on MTV, so that uh, a lucky viewer could press the button ah. that blew up the uh, the building, which <laughs> sounds an amazing. Prize. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where that person is now. Um, yeah, it would have been cool to them to have a cameo as well. Were they in the credits? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. They could have been. They could have been uh, one of the Mad Max people. <laughs> So real demolition here, um, but then after the whole building's blown up, um, what do you know? We get an angry police chief uh, chewing out at, uh, John Spartan. What a surprise! <laughs> and then um, it's uh, oh, yeah, you blew, you blew up this whole building. What are you, you reliability? And he's like, well, you know, um, it was the only way to, to stop him. And then a fireman says, "There's a body here. 
there's a body. There's bodies everywhere. <laughs> no. So it turns out that um, the hostages were in the building when um, when John Spartan caused it to explode. So he's get, he's going to be done for involuntary manslaughter. <laughs> Simon Phoenix, presumably for something similar, um, being a bad criminal. And uh, but what they do here in the in the distant future, nineteen ninety six, they don't put you in a regular prison. They freeze you cryogenically. And apparently the writer of this film was l- genuinely inspired by uh, Walt Disney's frozen head um, mm-hmm. to, to do this. So I think it was a bit of a hot topic in the 90s, wasn't it? I seem to remember yeah. lots of playground talk about Walt Disney and um, would you be cryogenically frozen if you mm-hmm. could be, that sort of thing. So they're, they're on the pulse here a little bit. And he is sentenced to be frozen for 70 years. However, he is defrosted in 2032. Yeah. which is where the bulk of the film takes place. He is defrosted by none other than Lenina Huxley, played by Sandra Bullock, mm. who is also on the rise here. I think she'd done a few sort of rom-coms and stuff like that, but uh, she did this here. 93, she would do Speed the next year. Yeah, I guess she was um, relatively young. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty young, pretty much on the rise now. Mm. It's worth noting, and I, I saw this film a lot when I had the VHS as a kid but since then i have read what is now one of my favorite books brave new world uh by aldous huxley and i had no idea but this film is largely inspired by that book and is a loose adaptation of that book um so she takes her name obviously from aldous huxley but also lenina is the name of the main character in the book and the book for listeners who don't know it's basically like a dystopian Almost like 1984, a dystopian book, except it's not authoritarian right wing. It's a really apathetic future where everything has become fine and utopian and peaceful and there are no problems anymore. But that's actually somehow more nightmarish than if it was a totalitarian government. So Mm -hmm. everyone's really like indifferent now and there's no... You know, there's like in this film, there's no sort of um, excitement. There's no um, violence Challenge. or sex. So yeah, everything's so easy now mm-hmm. that everyone, everyone's become complete. It's a complacent sort of apathetic utopia. So that's mm-hmm. that's really the concept of a brave new world, and that's what they've taken from that book. Although it's not any of the characters or the plot points, but it's that feeling of a a very sanitized and apathetic dystopia which is you know more unusual than the 1984 uh, dystopia that's the easier one to do in many ways because it's just uh, a boot stamping on a human face forever (laughs) as as they say Uh, this is a little harder to do and uh, you know they've they've taken the spirit of that book so yeah i would i would recommend that book if you want to know a bit more about where this sort of uh, idea comes from um but there's a little bit of um you know a little bit of prescience here um huxley is in a driverless car you know a a google car this is mysterious graffiti that pops up the ground and sprays so we get this idea of a sort of a clandestine underground early on in the film we get rob schneider here in the police (laughs) station i'm surprised he hasn't come up before now as well actually Uh, perhaps we'll do some juice bigelow films one day i would say this is probably the only proper film he's been in um proper big budget film he's been in a lot of trash hasn't he all sorts of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> He'll come up again. We'll come back to you, Rob Schneider. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> the chief of police here is played by a guy called Bob Gunton. Um, I think most people will recognise him from Shawshank Redemption. 
He's the warden. The warden, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's my immediate recognition yeah, of him. Yeah, that's his big role. And one of, probably my favourite thing about this dystopian future is that you're not allowed to swear, but to the point where if you swear, no matter where you are, and this is something they're very consistent with throughout the film, whenever you swear, an alarm will go off, and a guy will come on and says, you have violated the uh, verbal morality statute and been fined five credits for doing so. <laughs> And it's great because no matter where you are in the film, even if you're even if you, you're in you're outside or it doesn't look like you're anywhere near one of them, you, it'll become quieter. Yeah. So you'll swear, and really far away, you'll just hear. You're find a <laughs> so it's like you can't escape it <laughs> wherever you are. You are not allowed to swear, which I love it. It keeps coming back, and it's great. So what happens is that Simon Phoenix has a routine parole that is. Uh, suspiciously easily able to escape uh, he knows the password somehow to his restraints um, he rips out the eyeball of the doctor and uses it for the retina scanner I feel like I've seen this in other films but <laughs> this must be the first time I saw it it's a good idea uh, and it's why we should not have retina scanners uh, in, in the world take note and he commits what is referred to as an MDK a murder death kill or a 187 in sort of L.A. Uh, police code as well as the swearing machines they're these little compliment machines so um a citizen is using this sort of uh, what looks like a phone box and he just goes up to it and says i'm not feeling very good today and the, the computer says you look great <laughs> you are a positive being and you can do anything it's, oh, oh great and um all the while uh, simon phoenix is having these sort of hallucinations sort of um, flashes where it's just this voice saying don't you have a job to do don't you have someone to kill <laughs> friendly Edgar friendly um, so he searches Edgar friendly we get the face of Dennis Leary popping up on the computer screen mm. well known American comic at the time sort of the uh, the new Bill Hicks after Bill Hicks died known for that sort of routine he inexplicably plays the sort of uh, underground rebel leader in this film. I really don't know why. But uh, we start to get the idea that uh, Simon Phoenix has been brainwashed um, and that he's been thawed out for a reason. And uh, he just sort of generally starts causing mayhem, starts fighting with the police. We see some of uh, Wesley Snipes' uh, martial arts skills. Apparently they had to tell him to slow down his punches as he was... Uh, his limbs were being blurred on camera. He was too fast. So they had to ask him to do half-speed um, kung fu. Um, we're introduced to the character of Dr. Cocteau, who is the sort of um, the saviour of uh, San Angeles, as it's now called, which is like L.A. plus a few surrounding areas merged into one megalopolis, if you like. Yeah. He's played by Nigel Hawthorne, who is a sort of a British stage actor as well, I would say, and he's the proper actor in this film, the the, the counterpart to, to Charles Dance. He was in The Madness of uh, King George uh, a year after this film, which is a, quite a big 90s film. Uh, his assistant is called Bob the Associate, who people might recognise from Beetlejuice. <laughs> Very interesting bit of trivia. It's not mentioned in the film at all, but in the novelization of the film... It is revealed that Bob is a eunuch and was castrated by Dr. Cocteau uh, to, quote, stop him becoming too ambitious. Mm. So, yeah, Bob, Bob the eunuch, Bob the associate. So, of course, the only solution to uh, Simon Phoenix's problem is to defrost John Spartan, Sylvester Stallone, 
as that was how he was originally app apprehended. So it makes perfect sense they'll uh, defrost him again. Most people are against this, but uh, Sandra Bullock is a big supporter. And it's while he's defrosting that she sort of gives a bit of Basil exposition here and explains the whole uh, the whole apathetic uh, dystopia. So everything that is bad for you is now illegal. Uh, cigarettes, meat, sports, <laughs> uh, sex. <laughs> Quite a long list, actually. Uh, guns, um, lots of things. <laughs> and he's uh, yeah he's constantly being referred to as a uh, caveman and a Neanderthal because mm. he's from the twen way back in the twentieth century which I think they I think they refer to it as being thirty six years difference that's not that long ago no. we do we look at people from the early eighties go the savages like, <laughs> not really do we so I guess they've had a, a some sort of revolution in this 36 years that makes mm. them look at people from the 90s as being savages but that's that's the part that they sort of put him in we get the most arguably the most famous part of this film and what everyone knows even if they haven't seen it is the three seashells so john spartan goes to the toilet and comes back and says oh you don't have any toilet paper and they all start laughing and oh, back in the 20th century, they used wads of paper. <laughs> what? No. He doesn't know um, how to use the he seashells. He does, doesn't know how to use the three seashells. So, <laughs> Mark, I will put it to you now, live on the air. How do you think that you use the three seashells? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I read an excerpt of an interview with Sylvester Stallone where... I mean, I, if I was him, I don't think I would be answering that question. <laughs> but apparently, he did answer that question. Okay. And he, <laughs> he didn't go. He didn't go graphic. <laughs> but what he did say is that he imagined that two of the seashells were designed as a clamping device, <laughs> and one would be used as a scraping device. <laughs> that still doesn't really answer the question. But maybe we don't need it to be answered. No. He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. Is, is waterfall is one of the enduring quotes from this film, yeah. and um, he does have a unique way of getting around this because he realizes that the device that finds you if you swear. So he goes over and says, "You motherfucking dog fuck shit eating motherfucker." He swears about ten times, and then he has paper so he can go wipe his ass. Problem solved. <laughs> I feel like the actual the actual punchline to the gag, which is him swearing to get toilet paper, is often overshadowed because you're still you're still trying to think, uh, trying to work out what the fuck the three seashells are. <laughs> so I think the punchline now always gets lost there because you're yeah. like, what? <laughs> now they do mention the only place that Simon Finney could get a gun would be in a museum. So that's where he goes, the museum of the twentieth century, and they have guns there. Uh, they have a sort of a excavation of a genuine um, street from the 1990s. Assistant in the museum, uh, another famous quote from this film, asks Simon Phoenix, what seems to be your boggle? So he throws him through the, the, the glass and is able to access all of the guns. Mm -hmm. I think um, Wesley Snipes is really good in this. I really like the character of Simon Phoenix. I think he's quite a charismatic villain. Mm -hmm. He was third in line to play this character. Mm -hmm. Actually, Sly was not the first choice for this film either. They originally wanted this film to be Steven Seagal versus Jean-Claude Van Damme. That would have been quite fitting, actually. Yeah, so Steven Seagal as John Spartan and, and, and JCVD as, uh, as uh, Simon Phoenix. 
would yeah. have been fine, I think. <laughs> they couldn't get him. So then um, Sly wanted to get one of his favourite action stars, Jackie Chan, to play Simon <laughs> Phoenix, who I don't think would have been that good. No. Um, so Wesley Snipes, the fir- third choice, but I think he's really good as his character. And I think what makes the character as well is the costume design. Every scene he's got a really like outlandish outfit on like dungaree orange dungarees or like um a jacket that's made of like bits of tire and stuff like that it's quite yeah. well thought out sort of anarch- anarchist uh, chaotic sort of cartoon villain and uh, he's able to access as he says this is the future where are all the laser guns so he finds a, a gun called the magnetic accelerator <laughs> but he can't figure out how to use it for a little while um so they have a shootout um, John Spartan and Simon Phoenix they have a brawl in this excavated 90s street featuring a genuine car and a genuine fire hydrant and all this sort of stuff <laughs> Phoenix is able to escape and he confronts Cocteau and it's at this time you realise that obviously Cocteau is the one responsible for uh, releasing Simon Phoenix and he's the one that brainwashed him, he's using him to kill Edgar Friendly, the leader of the resistance because he's the only opposition to him but Spartan is able to chase him off Sandra Bullock says to Sylvester Stallone, not bad for a 74-year-old. <laughs> Do you know how old Sylvester Stallone is right now? 74. He will be 74 next July. <laughs> so we're nearly there. Ah. We're nearly there, yeah. So the idea of it being laughable, that, uh, laughable that a 74-year-old could, uh, could be an action hero. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Now, it's at this time that I, uh, I, <laughs> I already knew this, but this is quite different because I mentioned to you that um, whenever the characters say Pizza Hut, they're not actually saying Pizza Hut. And they say Pizza Hut a lot. It's yeah. obviously product placement. However, in the original theatrical cut and in the VHS I had, it's Taco Bell. Ah. Would you like to come to dinner uh, with me at Taco Bell? Yes, Spartan, we'll go to dinner at Taco Bell with Cocteau. Uh, all of the uh, uh, stickers on the window say Taco Bell. Uh-huh. Um, yes, oh, I can't wait to have a burrito at Taco Bell. <laughs> but they realised after shooting the film that nowhere else in the world has Taco Bell apart from America. <laughs> so they decided to overdub <laughs> brand, <laughs> brand new dialogue to be pizza because everywhere has a pizza so you can see the lips you can see you can see and i know because i remember him him in the police station saying boy i'd love to have a burrito when we go to taco bell but there is change to oh, i'd love a pizza at pizza hut <laughs> just before you before you even mentioned anything i could see that they weren't saying that and i was like what the hell's going on here? <laughs> it doesn't fit because it's been dubbed in afterwards. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see you at Pizza Hut. <laughs> so stupid and shit. <laughs> Who cares if no one has a Taco Bell? Like, it's pretty obvious what it is. It's a Mexican Taco restaurant. Taco Bell kind of sounds cooler than pizza anyway. Yeah. I thought, it, I thought it would have gone better, really. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever heard of Taco Bell was in this film. And now, now we're watching a version which has pizza. <laughs> and the fucking stickers on the windows and the cars are clearly, like, superimposed. Yeah. Like, video graphics over the we top. We paused it and they're like... so fucking terrible. It's so... It's the most unrealistic thing about the future. <laughs> So the clunkiest, some of the clunkiest product placement I've ever heard of. <laughs> then he goes to Pizza Hut and he's served this fucking Heston Blumenthal looking 
like smear on a on a slate thing anyway. So it's, he doesn't even eat pizza in the end. <laughs> what was the point of that? <laughs> he couldn't eat pizza because he was in fucking Taco Bell. <laughs> but he's not eating a burrito either. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> so stupid. And there's also a um, a great crossover here between the two films. Obviously, we mentioned uh, Sylvester Stallone as the Terminator in Last Action Hero in yeah. this film. Huxley mentions that she uh, got him uh, the the disc he asked for from the Schwarzenegger Presidential Library. Uh, oh, I believe he was an actor in your time. Um, but um, and she goes on this whole speech about how yeah, well, of course, once upon a time, you know, you weren't allowed to be the president if you weren't born in America. But they passed a a law where naturalized citizens were able to become a president. And of course, ten years after this film. Arnold Schwarzenegger did become the governor of California and shortly after that there was a law passed which said you could become the president if you were a naturalised American citizen so the most prescient thing about this whole film was Arnold Schwarzenegger being able to not become president but he he could actually become president (laughs) he might become president that'd be great yeah (laughs) I mean he's he's not getting any younger he might need to get on that quickly yeah um, so there you go, the Schwarzenegger Presidential Library, actually not that far from from what would happen. Mm. All these sort of goons turn up outside the uh, Taco Bell pizza and um, <laughs> start having a bit of a fight. They're referred to as scraps, these sort of uh, renegade characters. Kind of an awkward um, one-liner here. It's not as snappy as <laughs> some of the Arnie ones. Um, Sylvester says, uh, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. Both seconds of it. And then, he, and then he fights him for about another 20 seconds <laughs> yeah. and then kills him. I mean, I know it's not as snappy to say you're going to regret this for the next 23 seconds, but it's, it's not accurate. It's not, no. it's not great. But then uh, one of them drops a container of, uh, of food with a, a crudely plastered Pizza Hut logo on it, um, which means that uh, they're actually just hungry, poor people. They're not criminals. And you get a bit of sympathy for the the scraps, the uh, the underground resistance here. Pretty funny scene here where Huxley and Spartan go back to her place to quote have sex, <laughs> and I think I think we could all see this coming if you hadn't seen this film before. What was going to happen? Sandra Bullock disappears, comes back in a in a nice little dressing gown, and opens a chest and puts what I can only describe as uh, amateur boxing headgear <laughs> on uh, on John Spartan and puts the other one on her. And she's like, okay, just relax. We're going to start in a moment. He's like, okay. <laughs> so he's just sitting there. And he closes his eyes. And he, uh, I don't know how many actors there are who I could recognize who they are from a... Ooh, <laughs> Roger Moore uh, and Sylvester Stallone uh-huh. may be the only two. But every time he closes his eyes, he gets a sort of a, a, a lucid flash of... Uh, of pleasure of of uh, Sandra Bullock sort of going, ah. but then he's making these fucking noises like, ooh, ooh, and every t- and he get these crash zooms into his face. The more he's like being pleasured, and he's just pulling these fucking stupid faces <laughs> and doing these stupid like stereotypical sly grunts, ooh, ooh, <laughs> and ends up just taking off and says, look, can't we do it the old-fashioned way? <laughs> She's like, you mean? Fluid transfer? <laughs> oh, and she again goes into, uh, you know, the fact that you can't 
have sex, you can't kiss, you can't have children unless you go into a lab and are uh, inseminated, artificially inseminated, uh, with a, a licensed uh, fetus. Uh, again, quite a brave new world concept, uh, sort of genetic engineering. A sly goes back into his apartment, and this is a pretty fucking random bit where he's got a massive like a TV screen on his wall, and he's trying to trying to turn it on, and um, a topless woman comes on. <laughs> She's like, "Oh my god, I'm so wrong number." <laughs> he's like, "Hi, Steve. Oh, oh my god, wrong number." And he's just like, "Oh, what?" Okay. It's presumably, I mean. I'm assuming as soon as the scene cut, he just furiously jacked it. You know, he's uh, presumably, I mean, they, do, they haven't shown him having a wank, but I mean, he's been cryogenically frozen for 36 years. Yeah. He's very nearly had sex. Got, he's got to be uh, an issue here. And he also discovers during this time that uh, whilst he was in cryogenic uh, stasis, they implanted some rehabilitation skills. And for him, that meant knitting so he's able to knit Huxley a lovely jumper to um, apologise for trying to uh, transfer fluid into her. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a cake you can get for that as well. I'm uh, sorry, I tried to inseminate you. <laughs> <laughs> Without the proper licence and paperwork. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> What they do realise is that whereas um, Sly has had the knitting implant, Simon Phoenix has had the uh, torture, murder, kung fu, um, hacking implant. (laughs) So the better end of the deal, really. You can't knit your way out of this one. Sly uh, confronts Cocteau on this and says, you know, I think you released Phoenix. I think you uh, turned him into a killer to sort of uh, even the score with Edgar Friendly and the, uh, the scraps. So this does does lead to um, Spartan and Huxley and uh, another policeman going down into the sewers, into the scraps, um, sort of underground lair. They eat rat burgers. Dennis Leary goes on um, one of his trademark sort of rants that he would do during stand-up about how, I want high cholesterol. I want to smoke cigars. I, I want to run through the streets covered in jello. This is like almost verbatim his um, uh, no cure for cancer um, stand-up routine that he did yeah. in the 90s. I know the last episode we crowned an official triple crown winner in um, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. But here in this episode, we have probably the most pathetic triple uh, guest <laughs> on the show here. Because we have uh, here in this scene, and if I had not read it on IMDb Trivia, I would no way have spotted it. I had to pause it and strain my eyes. Um, There's no way I would have noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Here we have, returning, after we uh, sort of discussed him in Biodome and sort of discussed him in Waterworld, the third appearance here from young Jack Black, Mm. who is playing goon number three in this. And I think he played goon number four in Waterworld (laughs) and played one half of Tenacious D in in Biodome. So... Mm. It was a very long road to the top for, for Jack Black. I mean, how far does this go back? Like, we're going to see him in stuff in the 70s. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, it just should really check out his IMDb uh, <laughs> filmography. I think this was around the same time that he starred in Neverending Story 3 as, yeah. as the bully. So there you go. Uh, but they start defrosting all of the cryocons, as they call them, 
Um, Jeffrey Dahmer gets a shout out oh, here. Yeah. Um, I, love, I love that guy. I, love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what good he'd really be in this situation. Um, he's quite a, you know, quite a shy serial killer, <laughs> yeah. I think you could say. I don't think he'd be any good in a fist fight against Sylvester Stallone, but there you go. A bit out of place in an action film. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a bit of a weedy bloke, isn't he? <laughs> um, but yeah, Spartan and Phoenix have this quite cool fight in this quite cool set piece. No pun intended. It's a cryogenic frozen lab. Yeah. There's like this crane that picks up Spartan and uh, Phoenix is controlling it with a joystick, mm. uh, a la M. Bison. I don't know where he gets this fucking plasma gun, but he starts just shooting this insane gun that like shoots lightning across the room. <laughs> things are exploding, things are defrosting. It's all kicking off. And there's this great scene where, um, presumably in response to Terminator 2, um, Sly manages to cryogenically freeze Simon Phoenix, decapitates him, and then the, the body shatters into, into little pieces. So we've definitely seen this in Terminator 2, but yeah, it is cool. It was still cool, in it? <clears throat> Everything explodes, and um, yeah, uh, Spartan and uh, Huxley seems like uh, oh they have a bit of a fluid transfer of the mouth variety <laughs> at the end, as, yeah. as you often do in films. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, Edgar Friendly is going to work together with uh, with the police and create a better world for everyone, where there is some sex and violence, but also uh, it's it's you know. A safe, clean place to live in. Yeah. Possibly like what we have now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. Demolition Man, also from 1993. What were your overall thoughts on this one? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Um, there's quite a lot of references to what the future would look like. This is of technology and what they would be doing and eating. And yeah. Always interesting to see what people think the future will be. Yeah. I know not we're not sure. in 2032 yet. I'm not but... sure how serious they thought some of these <laughs> ideas were. But... <laughs> yeah, not too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as quite as um, not quite as realistic as uh, some other films. That... You, you, you wouldn't think that this had been loosely adapted from a, a seminal um, <laughs> science fiction book, would no. you? No. But yeah, it's like, isn't it? Quite like um, Wesley Snipes' character as well. And Yeah, there's more people I recognise than I thought, like the guy who played... Um, guy who was the warden in mm. Shawshank yeah. um Sandra Bullock obviously and Bullock seemed to have like the most kind of stupid kind of lines about I thought your life force had been prematurely terminated <laughs> like things like that quite quite stock it. sci-fi yeah, stuff yeah yeah and believe it or not this one actually 62% fresh on rotten tomatoes oh. so whereas last action hero was was rotten this mm. one has has got double that and wow. is uh, and is fresh that's quite hard to believe. Um, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite shocking. I mean, I, I really rinsed this VHS, uh, you know, when I was a kid. I, I really liked the, the futuristic setting. Uh, really liked uh, Simon Phoenix's character. I thought it was the best thing about the film. The whole um, sanitised future, the whole apathetic future. I mean, years and years before I read Brave New World, I thought that was kind of a much more interesting direction to go than the totalitarian we're the government we're gonna we're gonna smash your face in sort yeah. of stuff you know this mm. this is the other way really yeah, you know yeah. it's 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 so utopia it's dystopia yeah and, and i quite like that idea um the swearing machine love it the three seashells amazing these things <laughs> these things have stuck in my mind for years you know these these um mechanisms of of the uh, the future in demolition man are mm. just bizarre and there's some some quite good hand-to-hand -hand stuff in this like uh, Wesley Snipes is obviously pretty 
pretty tasty with the with the martial arts and that kind of shows. He does all sorts of cool Van Damme-esque uh, kicks. Yeah. And like I say, it was meant to be Van Damme, so that's mm. no no surprise there. Yeah. He turned it down. I'm not sure what he was what he was doing. Time Cop at this time, maybe he was about to be uh, Colonel Guile in Street Fighter. So. Yeah, a year or two. But um, as we said, he turned down Mortal Kombat at that time as well. So. Mm. You kind of see Sly and Arnie on the on the wane, and really you see Jean Claude as like becoming the biggest action star in the world in their place. Yeah, really, yeah. you know, everyone wanted him, not them anymore, which which is an interesting situation to be in. And also Bruce Willis was was in that kind of scenario as well. He was becoming perhaps people wanted a slightly more lifelike action hero. Mm. Whereas in the 80s, you want Brick Shithouse, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. In the 90s, they wanted something a little bit more down to earth, I think. And that's what you start to see here. But Demolition Man, an, an old favourite of mine as well. No way, it's 62% fresh. It's it's one of the better Sylvester Stallone movies, certainly of the 90s. Mark, if you had to uh, cryogenically freeze one of these films mm-hmm. so that it would not be seen again, <laughs> or if you could um, magically enter one of these films and and uh, live that film which one would you freeze forever and which one would you escape into i would that's pretty loaded <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't be swayed by the question yeah. i would freeze demolition man and i would live in last action hero yeah um <clears throat> and you'd have a lot of fun yeah i'd seen last action hero before i haven't seen demolition <clears throat> man quite enjoyed it but um last action hero i I don't know like i do like stallone Uh, he's great but um arnie's like one of the best actors ever um (laughs) or not one of the best but one of them certainly one of the most entertaining yeah and one of my favorite um more fun than sly yeah yeah Yeah. he's he's brings me so much more joy Uh, (laughs) i kind of like the whole meta thing that we've talked about the whole going into an action movie and is this real now and this kid getting to like live out an action film Mm. um, I think it's quite well done Um, Demolition Man was yeah it was kind of futuristic but it was kind of not as original as Mm. Last Action that's true yeah I think it could have been um, any any sci-fi action film, really. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't done as well as other futuristic <clears throat> films, which is why it's a schlocky movie, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, Last Action Hero, I, I thought it had more good one-liners, it mm. had more cheesy action and things like that. And Yeah, I agree, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, absolutely legendary film, Last Action Hero. I, I can't believe that the score it's got on Rotten Tomatoes makes me so angry. Um, <laughs> if people haven't seen it, I really recommend you go see it. And, and, and the reason why it's become a cult film now is because people were not ready for this in 1993. Mm. They'd only just had the big the big budget action blockbuster film for like the previous 10 years before this. I think perhaps people weren't ready for Arnold Schwarzenegger to sort of tear down all of the things that he built up you know yeah. and they were like whoa what is this like this is really challenging what we were expecting yeah, yeah. Um, nobody could have been expecting this in 93 it must no. have blown people's minds mm. but possibly not in the way that, that they that they were intending but um, <clears throat> looking back on it now it's so clever so ahead of its time you talk about things like Scream Cabin in the Woods Mostly horror, uh, do, do the postmodern thing, but this is a, a very interesting example of, of action movies doing it as well. Mm. 
and um, works it works just as well. Um, Charles Dance I think is brilliant as the villain, um, and like you say, Arnie is Arnie. Um, even in the films that aren't as good, even in Junior, he's still Arnie. You know, yeah, he's yeah. still he's still funny and still charming. He's got good lines um, in pretty much all of his yeah. old films. Yeah, you can you can squeeze something out of every Arnie film. I think you can find something to to like. Yeah. Um, but in this, it's just so ambitious, so clever. This is definitely the better good movie that some people say is bad. <laughs> Interestingly enough, obviously, I guess if we're going by I mean, if we're going by box office, both of them made money, of course, um, but both failed to meet their projected, expected results, whatever they were, I don't know. Uh, obviously, critically, uh, Last Action Hero came out on the losing end with Demolition Man actually getting a fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. However, in the Battle of 2019... Terminator Dark Fate, believe it or not, is seventy-one percent fresh, oh. and Rambo: Last Blood twenty-seven percent rotten. Oh, so um, <laughs> wow! I guess nobody does want to see a seventy-four-year-old Sylvester <laughs> Stallone um, running around. So yeah, I, I guess Arnie had the last laugh here. I mean, I, he took ten years off to be a governor. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe people got sick of Sly uh, or are sick of Sly and sick of the Rambo franchise. But I mean. Terminator has been absolutely flogged as well, and there's still, you know, it's still 71%. So, yeah, yeah maybe we'll uh, get a chance to see both those films um, and we'll, we'll let people know what we think. Mm. But, yeah, in terms of uh, recommendations, we've mentioned quite a few of them already. For Schwarzenegger, it's all pretty obvious Terminator 2, Total Recall, my personal favourite, Total Recall, The Running Man, Commando, Predator. Um, those are all the big boys. I'm imagining people have already seen all of those, and yeah. if they have, then Last Action Hero is your next next port of call, I would say. Uh, again, Stallone. I really love Tango and Cash. I can't believe that's rotten as well. Go check out Tango and Cash. It's really fun buddy movie. I'm more of a fan of the Rambos. I know you're more of a Rocky fan. Yeah, I like they're, both, um, really. They're, um, both, they're both great franchises and, and yeah. have interesting things to say about boxing slash um war yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but then you get stuff like uh cliffhanger is pretty good stallone film i think from around this time as well uh, so if you want to get in touch with us and let us know um what you think of these films uh you can always do so on facebook uh, instagram and twitter at schlock tactics uh, on instagram uh, amateur geek uh, said, I've always felt The Last Action Hero was underrated. Its skewering of action movie tropes was on point, and it was fun to see Arnie make fun of films that were his bread and butter. Mm. Uh, so we've obviously uh, agreed with that, absolutely. Get in touch if you want to let us know what you think of these films or any other films we reviewed, or even let us know if you want us to review uh, any films in the future. Uh, please do subscribe to the show. Uh, we release uh, one or two episodes a month, and if you're subscribed, you'll be the first one to know. Leave us a positive review on iTunes. Uh, five stars, if you wouldn't mind, would really help out the show. Um, make sure you go over to the YouTube channel. We have another show on there called Short Sharp Schlocks. Uh, recently reviewed uh, Doctor Sleep, the uh, massively belated Shining sequel uh, around 30 nine years uh, in the making um, so go and check out what I thought of that I'll be reviewing uh, uh, new and current films every now and then on there to, to keep you going in between um, in between these episodes pretty soon we're going to have our Christmas episode coming up so um, get in touch if you want to suggest any 
any films for us to do we've got a little bit of an idea but we'll want to hear what you guys think as well but that has been another episode of schlock tactics my name is benash and i've been joined once again by mark hasta la vista baby and we'll be back <laughs> bye, bye.